Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. I wonder how often you think of how God feels about our disobedience. I wonder how often it comes to mind of the offense that we bring before God when we fail to follow his clear instructions in favor of our own desires. Well, this morning, we're blessed to hear from Lane Hallsworth as he shares the truth and consequences from the prophet Jeremiah to God's people, warning them about the object of their confidence. Thanks for listening. Morning. Some of the guys came in from camp today, so if you're smelling something back there, they've been out there for a while now, so... So my wife plays volleyball most Monday nights in town. Well, the first time she played our youngest boy, Silas, he was around two months old. Well, mom is obviously dialed in on him. She knows his sleep schedules, feeding routines, bowel movements, you name it, she's on it. Well, the first time she left her volleyball, it was around 7 o'clock at night. She handed Silas to me and said very clearly, he needs to sleep. He's going to miss his sleep window if you don't get him down soon. He laughed. Silas is beaming me. He's all smiles and giggles, and I'm like, no way I'm putting him to sleep. <laughs> so I played, and I played with him, and he was as happy as could be. <clears throat> which I soon found out was the sleep window thing she was talking about. (laughs) Well, all of a sudden, his attitude changed. His joy turned to sheer panic. He was crying uncontrollably, and panic began to set in for me. I'm sure you dads can relate to this feeling of pure helplessness. You know the moment when you hand him to your wife and say, Babe, I think he's hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Which to us is basically every time they cry. (laughs) Well, I was running around the house, rocking him in every direction. But it was too late. He was past the point and was overtired. There was absolutely nothing that could be done. So I held him in agony for an hour until Chelsea came home and did her mad worked her magic on her on him. I'm sure you can picture the look she gave me (laughs) when I handed him to her and said, Babe, I think he's hungry. No, I was given specific instructions. <clears throat> it's amazing the gift is God, God has given mothers and being home with him for two months. She obviously knew how he ticked, needed, and when. She knew better, <clears throat> and I knew that, but I did what I wanted to do, and I paid for it. Now I have a million stories like this, and I'm sure you do too. But now picture our Christian lives without putting our trust in Jesus. It's kind of the whole point, isn't it? 
God tells us repeatedly to lay ourselves down and follow him. But we are a world of worry, a world of self-help, a world of I got this. Now I'm going to read through a passage from Jeremiah which addresses a nation so very similar to ours. If you could turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. I have a page on that if anybody gets there. So Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. I was talking to Mr. Ketela a few weeks back and I told him I was going to be speaking on Jeremiah. And he just looked at me and said, well, gee, you're not going to cry up there, are you? (laughs) So why was he the weeping prophet? God called upon Jeremiah to deliver his word to a people who were living large. Times were good for the people of Judah. God had delivered them from Egypt into a land that he promised. It was fruitful. Well, now that they were there, they didn't need God anymore. They were rebellious. They worshipped false gods, were sexually immoral. They flaunted their sins in the streets. And they gathered around them false prophets who told them how great they were and how God was blessing them. Now insert Jeremiah. Jeremiah told them the truth. The truth from our Father. And it wasn't popular. See, God was angry with them. He delivers them from harm into the land that he had promised. And they want nothing to do with him. Jeremiah tells them repeatedly that they must repent from their sin or God was bringing wrath from the north. That he was going to destroy them with overwhelming armies. But they would not listen. Didn't want to. They held their trust in themselves. And the fear of God had left them. Jeremiah delivered this message for over 40 years to an era of five different kings. And they hated him. Yet onward he went with the power from God to do his task. Now how heartbreaking for him. He had the word from God. And it was in one ear and out the other. Now we think about our faithful pastors we have today. And they face a world so very similar to his. Our world rejects the truth. Wants nothing to do with it. The truth is labeled as bigotry. Judgmental. Self-righteous. Our world wants self-help. Be you. 
Do you. Follow your arrow wherever it goes. It doesn't want the truth. So Jeremiah 17, 1 through 8. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point, on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their... Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles, beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures, I will give away as plunder, together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So I'm going to work through some observations The first being, sin is obvious. My son is in this strange stage that he just can't stand getting his diaper changed. He'll come waddling into the room with what looks like a baseball tucked in his pajamas. (laughs) And when we ask him if he went potty, what would he say? No. (laughs) But it's obvious Everybody can see it. God can see it. Verse 1 here points out that their sin is engraved on their hearts. Even their children can see it. It is beside the spreading trees, high on a hill, throughout the country. I also think it's worth noting here that it's mentioned how their children can see their sin. My wife might get mad at me for this as she is a speech pathologist, but talk is cheap. We can tell our children what to do until we're red in the face, but it is ultimately our actions that will be passed on. My oldest boy, Ezra, was swinging his hockey stick, his mini stick, at a block of wood the other day. Um, in a perfect wood-splitting form. And I was amazed. I told Chelsea, look at that. His, his form is perfect. How in the world did he learn that? She just looked at me and said, you do know he watches you split wood like every day, right? <laughs> no, on the contrary, my 
dog has just been a bugger lately. <laughs> We've been busy with the kids and overwhelmed at times. And when he does so much as get in my way, I'll yell out in anger, Gosh! Go lay down! <laughs> well, now my wife and I will be sitting down on the couch and Ezra will just randomly walk up to Gus and yell, Gosh! Get down! <laughs> Actions. How we conduct ourselves. If we live our life trusting ourselves, our children will see it and will likely follow suit and likely their children. Subservation, God will punish unrepentant sin. I can remember growing up, I was a hothead. Still am at times. But I certainly was then. I remember playing Yahtzee as a family. And if I didn't roll those five dice all the same, I would get red, throw a fit, and crumple my score sheet. Now, my parents obviously weren't misbehavior. <laughs> they would address the issue, if you know what I mean, and send me to my room, <clears throat> missing out on the rest of the game. That was the worst. My whole family was at the table having fun. And I was alone in my room just waiting it out. However, the next game I would twice about acting out and throwing a fit. It was out of love. And now I'm able to play board games. <laughs> Unless I lose, of course. Verse 3 says, All your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder. God says I will enslave you to your enemies, for you have kindled my anger. Third observation here is trust in man is offensive to God. My family has four generations of Masons my brother and cousins being the fourth. So growing up, we all worked for them as mason tenders. <clears throat> now the job of a mason tender is to keep the masons working at a fast pace, making sure they don't run out of mortar or brick, whatever they might be laying at the time. You also have to fetch tools for them that they might need. Well, imagine my dad yells down to me for a Pointing trowel. Well, I look in the box and I see a tool that I think will work much better. <laughs> I bring up this other tool and hand it to him. Now, masons move quickly. They don't have time in their day for hiccups or mistakes. So what do you think his reaction might be as I hand him this tool... <laughs> That was completely different than the one he asked for. I could save you the imagination. <laughs> Tell you it wouldn't be good. <clears throat> he would be angered. 
He asked for something specific. And I go off on my own thought process and decide he needed something else. I'm sure you've been in these situations here, either as the mason or as the tender. But this is how God sees this when we trust ourselves over him. He says here in verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. They will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. Last observation in In verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And never fails to bear fruit. If you could also turn with me to Psalm 1. Somebody yell out a page on that one when you get it. Seven sixty nine. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The trees have what are called capillary roots, which spread out not far under the surface. And they supply the tree with what it needs. They react to temperature and moisture content and are constantly moving up or down depending upon conditions. Now when drought comes, if you can picture it, these roots begin to panic. They shoot down and down, searching for moisture. And if water doesn't arrive, they will burn up and the tree will die. Now picture these roots growing along a stream that will die. They have the exact moisture content they need forever. 
They're not always searching up or down for what they need because they have exactly what they need. And they have no need for worry. And will forever be these roots going up and down, searching for what we think we need until we lay ourselves down and trust Him. Now picture the mason tender who fully trusts the mason. He is always there to serve. Whatever the mason needs, he delivers without question because he trusts him fully. How that mason would feel for him If times got tough and work was slow, the mason would make sure he kept his tender busy somehow because he valued him so highly. And the tender wouldn't have to worry because he knew his mason had him covered. Now three conclusions, and then we'll move on to application. First conclusion here, God sees our sin. We may be fooling ourselves or others, but we're not fooling him. Secondly, God will punish his children. Just as my father did when I was growing up, God will discipline us because he loves us. Lastly, God will bless obedience. So application, I have three points here. First is we must examine ourselves. Taking a deeper look at our lives is the first step into finding areas that we may be burying sin. Secondly, we must identify our sin. As it may be hard to call ourselves out at times, we must identify our sin before we can repent of it. Which brings me to my last application that we must repent of our sins. Repentance shows our trust and our faith in Him as our Father. I'm just going to run through a couple examples here that I think sometimes are overlooked as being okay. First here is worry. Where does worry come from? Have you ever noticed sometimes the happiest people in the workplace have the least amount of responsibility? I know Mason tending, I was as happy as could be. It was hard work, but ultimately every major decision was up to the Masons. I had no worries because they were in control. Fast forward to now, I'm no CEO, but I have things I'm responsible for. Well, your mindset changes. When it's me who makes the ultimate decision, I'll dwell on things. And worry over them. 
Unlike when all I had to do was serve the Masons. Now, if we stop taking responsibility at work, <clears throat> we'll likely lose our jobs. But in our Christian lives, we ought to be the tender here. We serve Him, and He makes the decisions and guides our path, as He is able, and we are not. Second is the mine mentality as most toddlers do. My oldest son recently learned the word mine. He whimpers and whines if the dog so much as sniffs his bowl of raisins or if we decide there's something he shouldn't be playing with. He shouts, mine! My, my wife and I are attempting, and I'll say attempting, to teach him that everything belongs to God and nothing really is ours. We haven't earned anything ourselves. As it is the Lord who provides us with all that we have. And like the people of Judah, we live in a society of mine. Just as I shared earlier when I should have put Silas to sleep. I did what I wanted. Not for the better of my son and also for my wife. As a society, we've decided that it's our right to do to our bodies as we please because it's our body and our choice. We splurge our bonus checks on unneeded items because we deserve it. We don't call somebody we haven't talked to in a while because it's not our turn to call them. We watch unhealthy TV shows because it makes us happy. We don't spend ne the necessary time raising our children because we need time for us. Lastly, here is the, well, here's what I think. Now, there's nothing wrong with this phrase if it is followed by biblical knowledge. As God gave us the ability to use his word and apply it to our lives. But what if it isn't grounded in his word? I think you can agree here that most of the time we hear this, it isn't. We are so fast to jump up and share our opinion. And while we may be real good thinkers, God says. Now obviously if somebody asks me what kind of tree they have on their property, I'm not going to tell them to turn to Luke chapter 3. <laughs> but we take major steps in our lives without biblical counsel. This doesn't really mean locking yourself in your room and reading his word, looking for an answer. As when we're alone, we have a tendency of twisting things to be the way that we want them. This is where the church comes in. 
This is what it's here for. Seeking out a brother or sister in Christ who models biblical behavior is where we should be looking. But we're stubborn and we're proud. We think it's within ourselves to find the answer. Again, pointing back to Judah. Now, as Derek pointed out last week, we are not our sin. As hard as we may try, we will ultimately fail. Just as Peter denied Jesus, and just as the disciples slept when Jesus asked them to pray. But it's identifying these areas in our lives and repenting of them. So my challenge is this. Examine yourselves. Identify one sin in your life that may be camouflaged as being okay and repent of it. If you could pray with me.